0: hey everyone my name is kyla welcome to my channel where we talk about the stock market and the economy amongst other things This is not the everything that you need to know series, a series of different primaries where we talk about the stock market, the economy and the crypto markets. This is the kind of weekly summary where I just sort of talk about everything that's happening in the markets this week, everything that went on this week and just apply some frameworks to it. Today, I'm going to be talking about the energy markets, what's going on in Turkey, dollar stores as an inflation index, the fed chair and tapering the new COVID strain and some information from the crypto markets. If you want to go ahead and hit subscribe, that would be awesome and would be. A high five in the metaverse at all times. As we talked about earlier this week, there's a lot of turmoil in energy markets. There's a lot of turmoil over in Europe with power prices. There's a lot of turmoil over here in the United States with gas prices. So president biden came out from the strategic petroleum reserve this week and he was like 50 million barrels of oil and he primarily did this because opec was like hey you know biden we don't really care that you need more oil because he came to them and he was like please people need to go to work gasoline prices are so high here in the united states and opec you you alone can produce more oil because you're a cartel and they were like no we really think that prices are going to taper off into january because demand's going to taper off because this is all just momentary bursts because of holiday travel, etc. There was a couple other reasons, but that was like the main primary reason is we think that demand is going to taper. And so if all of a sudden OPEC is producing a ton of oil and just pumping the market with oil, that is not going to be good for OPEC, right? So they're going to have lower prices because of that, um, because there's just more oil for people to buy. So they- they're incentivized to produce less oil at all times because that keeps prices high. Um, and so for them, they're like, well, no, we don't really have any interest in doing this. Goodbye, sir. Biden came out. He was like, all right, I'll pull from this strategic petroleum reserve. He did that with China, India, and a couple of other countries. It was only 50 million barrels, which is about two and a half days worth, about two and a half days worth of demand for oil that comes from the US. So the US uses about 20 million barrels of oil per day. So 50 million barrels isn't really going to do much. It's also sour crude oil versus sweet crude oil. So, not even that useful because the sour crude oil still has to go to a refinery to get refined, et cetera, to be u- useful and, and be able to be something that people can actually use in terms of oil. So, overall, it was just more of a narrative thing, which most things are, uh, just really trying to get the market to calm down. Uh, and I'm going to talk about what's happening in the oil markets today uh, because none of this, you didn't really need to pull from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Just got to talk about COVID. <laughs> the oil markets at large, the biggest, is- I have a whole video on it, but the big issue is just there's a lot of capital under investment. There's just not not a lot of structural efficiencies around the oil market because uh, the way that we do it is sort of still the way that we've done it ever since oil got discovered back in the 1800s when they drilled into the ground. We have to sort of transition away from oil. It's just, it's because it's a depleting resource. It's not infinite, right? So we got to get away from it. Everybody, uh, we keep on consuming it. Everything uses oil, all the plastic productions, everything. So it's something that is needed, but man, oh man, is it not efficient. Then on Monday, there's a very big talk with Iran. Iran is under sanctions because of nuclear issues, just because of a lot of issues. There's talks on Monday. uh, Will those sanctions come undone? Will Iran be able to produce oil? And if Iran is able to produce oil, that'll put downward pressure on oil prices because then more oil will hit the markets. But we don't know how that conversation is going to go right now. It's not pointing to looking very good. It seems like there's a little bit of fighting in between the two parties. Overall, I think the biggest problem is there's really this capital under investment and this expectation of green energy policy, which I think is really important. Like, like I've said on many times on the channel, I support green energy. I think it's something that we should have, but there's this expectation of green energy policy without green energy investment. You can't just wake up one day and be like, yeah, I want the world to be entirely carbon neutral. I want everything to run on, you know, ethanol. I run, I want corn cars instead of vehicles. You can't have that sort of model because we don't have the sort of policy, the sort of framework in place. That's going to support that. We don't have the investment in green infrastructure. That's going to support that start with bike lanes, for example, start with safer pedestrian walkways. And so there just isn't this strategic investment in a green energy universe, but we have this expectation of green energy policies and we cannot pivot away from oil until we actually build out green energy infrastructure. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> europe is going through a natural gas crunch so power prices are through the roof right now and as they go into winter more and more people are going to use power to eat their homes so a lot of pricing pressure over in europe right now they don't have enough natural gas there's a huge energy crunch over there and there's no strategic petroleum reserve of natural gas or electricity or in order for them to tap into electricity is very very hard to store it's really something that we take for granted like all these different things that we do throughout the day i do it i take it for granted i just flip on the light switch and i'm like all right you know if we did this 500 years ago they'd be like what you're you're a master you're a master of the universe. But instead uh, we just flip on the switch and, and there's an expectation that it'll turn on. And that is not always the case. These things that are fleeting and these things that rely on these markets that are so fragile. <laughs> it's just another sign that not to take stuff for granted, I guess, but also that uh, we do hinge a little bit on sort of like this just in time infrastructure on infrastructure that might be under in as well. Then over in Turkey, so Turkey is still going through it. Their lira, their currency is tanking their president cut rates by 400 basically basis points, which is very intense. The federal reserve for context us- usually, usually um, operates in about 25 basis points, but this in Turkey, you know, it was a 400 basis point moves. So f- 4% move, which is very, very intense and obviously it puts a lot of pressure on the economy. Inflation could be 30% in the coming months, which would be essentially a real interest rate of about negative 15% is it's just really a bad situation over there. And it's very sad. And if any of my listeners are from Turkey and I'm, I'm thinking about you. So over here in the United States, the dollar store came out a while ago and they were like, we're going to raise our dollar store prices up to a dollar and 25 cents. And all everybody on Twitter started freaking out and they were like, oh my gosh, like like this is it. This is the end of all times. The dollar store is raising their prices. The dollar store has not raised prices over the past 35 years. So if you think about all the stuff that's happened in the past 35 years, a dollar has definitely changed in terms of what it can actually buy over the past 35 years. So I'm sure 35 years ago, you could get like, I don't know, probably like a chocolate bar for a dollar. Obviously the dollar store is going to have to raise prices at some point. It's just sort of how it is. But everybody on Twitter was like, oh, Cameron Winklevoss, especially, I know I shouldn't even give the energy to this account because they have a mission. And it's a mission to get people into bitcoin and they tend to be a little bit extremist in their views in order to get people into bitcoin but what he tweeted was just like so absurd and everybody was also like dude like come on but what he tweeted was like the dollar store is raising prices 25 the vast majority of goods that they sell will be priced at 1.25 starting in 2022 if you use the dollar store as a proxy for inflation rather than the consumer price index inflation is closer to 25 percent than the widely reported six percent ouch Ouch. Oh man, this is a logical fallacy if there's ever been one. <laughs> the idea that the dollar store tracks inflation. Because number one argument would be okay, Cameron, you're, so you're saying that we haven't had inflation for the past 35 years. Obviously, nobody in the right mind would say that because we've had inflation every year since then. We really have had inflation every, every year since then. And then he's also saying that the dollar store has managed to produce the same amount of goods at that dollar price point that they have always had been, but the dollar store has a lot of problems with the shrink inflation. I have a whole video on dollar stores. So if you want to go check that out, I talk in depth about kind of their model and I don't really like it. I don't like it at all. Actually, I think it's bad, but I, I talk in depth about the dollar store there to caveat that point and to I don't know play devil's advocate to myself, I guess. The CPI and the PCE does a bad job of capturing shrink so I guess it's fine that he would think that... (laughs) this is a big deal. I don't know. We definitely have inflation. That is something that the Fed has acknowledged. It, you, you can just go outside and you can see it. We, we have inflation. I want to recognize that there are people who this price increase could be very painful for them. And that is not good. And it's frustrating. And we have to think about policies and frameworks that can help people who, who are going to be impacted by this increase and how we can help them. Obviously we have massive economic disparity. Obviously we have huge wealth inequality issues. The dollar tree is, unfortunately meant to be a solution to that. It's supposed to be this low-cost retailer, but they actually package goods in smaller boxes and they charge more for those boxes. So you're paying more per unit than you would if you were able to go to Walmart. But the issue here is that people can't afford to you know, go to Walmart. They can't afford to drop $30 on a big, big thing of toilet paper, even though it's cheaper than what is sold at the dollar store. So the entire dollar store model is fundamentally flawed because they're trying to pass stuff off as cheaper, but really it's more harmful to consumers in the end really the big issue that we need to be talking about not the fact that they're raising their prices by a quarter it's how they price gouge consumers that's what i wish he was tweeting about instead we have inflation we have bad dollar stores. We don't have accessible options for people to purchase quality goods at low prices. And so supply chains are still tight. People are demanding goods. And we also have labor and wage shortage in a lot of key industries. Another big thing is sort of this like fear mongering around inflation. So if you go on Twitter, I go on Twitter a lot. Apparently you can see people tweeting about the money supply. Oh, the money supply is expanded by 40%. Oh, it's that's why we have inflation. It's, it's valid, but it's a terrible argument because it's a lazy argument. And if you really have to dive into inflation, It's supply and demand mechanics, it's broken supply chains, it's consumers demanding a lot of goods. And yes, the federal reserve has printed a lot of money. And yes, if they print too much money, that is going to cause inflation. As long as there's an element of GDP growth, economic productivity, as long as those dollars are not just flooding the market, and also the velocity of money, and this is kind of like a flawed argument. MV equals PT. Money supply times velocity is going to equal price level times the number of transactions. And so velocity is relatively low because money isn't exchanging hands as much as it, it used to. And this is kind of a funky argument because it's like it was a mismeasured. Who knows? But you could argue money isn't moving through the economy as, as fast as it used to, so it's not causing the same level of inflation because it's not changing hands as much. So you have that sort of like quantity theory of money. So the velocity is really low if money gdp growth as well so it's going towards hopefully productive units within the economy you can't just point to the money supply and be like inflation because if if it goes to where it kind of needs to go it, it makes sense and i don't know it's also like definitely devil's had to get to myself it's like really kyla <laughs> but this is economic theory so this is kind of what's meant to happen it's, it's scary to think about like how much has been printed and how much is in circulation and you can see it in the speculation in stocks i think this gets into jeremy red's paper on the idea of inflation which i i quote all the time i think it's such a good paper but the more the more that people talk about inflation, the more they're going to see inflation. It's a huge feedback loop. Everything that we do because we're so human is going to be a massive feedback loop. And so it's just a byproduct of being human. If we see inflation and if we start worrying about inflation, if people are tweeting about inflation, if Elizabeth Warren is calling companies out for quote unquote price gouging because of inflation, people are going to start responding to that and it becomes everyday parlance and people talk about it. So that's another big worry is the more people talk about it, the more it's going to show up. And there's also f- fundamental misunderstandings of supply and demand, Elizabeth Warren's tweet being a key example here call out companies and Alex of course Alex good had a great tweet about actually there is margin expansion companies are taking advantage of this kind of stuff but on aggregate, her, her tweet was around the idea that companies are taking advantage of consumers right now and they're charging them so much more for Turkey. No, Elizabeth Warren, there's just not enough turkeys. There's not enough workers to produce the turkeys. There's not enough truck drivers to drive the turkeys. We just have sort of these structural issues. We have to understand supply and demand expanding more on the idea of monetary policy. Jerome Powell was selected for his second term as Fed chair that happened earlier this week. It feels like it was literally a lifetime ago. This week has been so wild. The decision was between. Jerome. Powell and Brainerd. Brainerd was likely going to be more dovish. And so she was going to be a little bit more easy in terms of how she was going to move rates. We weren't expecting her to raise rates too much because she was a little bit worried about the labor market. Whereas Jerome Powell, he's probably going to taper here soon. They have a meeting on December 16th. So we'll find out what the tapering plans are. Then I'm going to talk about the COVID strain (laughs) and how all that could impact this. Yeah. So the stock market kind of was like, Ooh, okay. So we're going to have to digest the fact that rates are coming. Rates are probably priced in to a certain degree, like the market is definitely was expecting higher rates into 2022. So Jerome Powell was definitely seen as a more hawkish figure. The stock market does not like higher rates because it puts pressure on growth stocks. It puts pressure on valuations. It puts pressure on risk assets. So people are likely to rotate into banks and safety stocks versus crypto and tech stocks. So that was kind of the big thing there is the market was adjusting, but then now we have the virus. So markets, this is from Kathy Jones, markets reversing rate height expectations on news of new COVID variant 10 basis points this morning on two- your note. And so essentially what that means is the market was pricing in an element of, you know, the Fed raising rates. So they were like, okay, probably maybe even Q1 2022, at least July 2022, we're going to see the Fed raise rates based on the Fed fund futures. But now the market is backtracking that because the new COVID strain. So the new COVID strain is called, I think they're going to call it the new variant, but it's B.1.529. I'm not going to pretend I know a whole lot about it. This is from bloom lab and they had a pretty good paper around it. It does seem like it Is going to be a little bit more transmissible. It's a little bit more fast moving around and it it seems like it has more escape mutations, which means that vaccine efficacy could be weaker and that we could see it break through to vaccinated people at a higher rate, which would be really bad. But it also seems that we're able to track it really easily, that there's already people in the case and that we're able to figure out where it's going. But this could definitely put pressure on the markets, especially all the travel stocks start to underperform today. All the work from home stocks begin to outperform. People are ready for that rotation I'm ready for what it could mean to whatever is going on. It does seem like people are moving very fast because this thing is moving very fast. And this is of course very, very bad and very, very sad, and it will be really important to watch how it unfolds, not only from the stock market perspective, but from a human perspective, from what it means to be a person and in sort of like this new virus world. I I do think that we're going to keep on having strains like this for the foreseeable future. I don't know what it, what it means from when do we return to normal? I don't know what the normal will look like, but I do think that we're going to keep on having these like repeated patterns of a new strain, new strain, new strain, which is, it's scary. It's okay to be afraid because it is really uncertain. Uh, This gets into sort of something that I've been thinking a lot about on, on this channel and just with my work, the stock market at large, I've received a fair bit of criticism for how I talk about markets and I paint things in a pretty positive light, right? Like I usually try to be like, okay, like this is pretty hopeful for the future. And then I also have really negative stuff. Cause a lot of stuff is just negative. Like what's happening with oil markets, optimism sort of predicates a new decision-making process, even just to make a decision that could be net negative. You usually have some sort of glimmer of hope of like, okay, maybe it'll work out. Maybe it'll work out. Okay. It's really funny to think about from an evolutionary perspective, like we kind of evolved to be pessimistic, right? So when we were hunter-gatherers, when we were going through the Savannah or whatever, and we were trying to, you know, stab animals, we had to be really careful about what we were around and what we were looking at. Stephen West talks about this in, in his podcast, philosophize this, but the idea is that we can approach something and we have to be really careful around it and we have to be pessimistic around our surroundings because we don't know what's going to try and kill us. <laughs> the world tries to kill us. Like, we live in a world that's not friendly to us. I would argue that, like, myself, I'm cynical. I don't really trust a lot of stuff. And that's why I research and analyze so deeply. Because, like, how can I process this? How can I convey this information? Does it make sense? Is this something that people need to know about? How do you become a mouthpiece for the confusion of the world? And in that process, you do become very cynical. With all that, though, hope is this asset that... Outperforms in the long run. Obviously, you have to, you know, cut your losses. There's some stuff that's just absolutely unreasonable. Some of these crypto assets are just like, okay, get rid of them. Hope is an asset that, if you have it over the long run, it does tend to outperform. If you can keep on showing up, even if the world keeps on knocking you down and you know things keep on getting bad, there's always going to be these pockets of of shininess, hopefully too. And Voltaire, who you know he's really well known for being a pessimist, (laughs) but he has this story where almost inadvertently he has this great outlook on life. He's painting it in a different light than I am. So this is not his original intention, but he talks about how we are essentially just rats on the ship of the, the king of Egypt. So the king of Egypt doesn't really care about the, uh, us in his book, king of Egypt is God. But in this analogy, we're just rats on a ship, right? The, the biggest thing is when you're a rat on a ship, there isn't anybody who really cares about you. Um, if anything, they want to eradicate you. When you're a rat on a ship, you're also responsible for other rats on the ship, responsible for understanding the ship around you and for the wood and where the food is and how it's going to go over the water and is there any like dangers that you have to pinch into and then you're also responsible for the other rats so is this rat gonna be okay how can you team up with that rat (laughs) i'm assuming these rats are collaborative (laughs) because rats are smart and scary but the biggest thing is you know we're responsible for learning as much as we can about our surroundings and the other rats around us i think the analogy to being a human is like we uh, we might be rats on a ship but we are still responsible for understanding that ship and our other rats This it sounds like calling calling people rats. is like maybe not the best example I could I could have had, but that's what Voltaire wrote about. So blame him, not me. And so that's why that's why I remain hopeful, is because we're all rats. when I wrote this out this morning, I was like, oh, I'm so smart. And now that I'm saying it out loud, I'm like, all right, my fellow rats. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But anyway, I think, you know, my fellow rats, (laughs) we have a huge opportunity to be optimistic and build towards a better future. So why wouldn't we at least try? We are just rats after all. So thanks so much for hanging out with me, my fellow rats. It's always a joy. It's always a pleasure. I hope that you had a good holiday if you celebrated. Let me know if you have any thoughts, comments, (laughs) any ratty concerns. But I will see you soon. And thanks so much for hanging out again. I have all my notes linked in my substack, .substack kyla.substack.com. If you want to go ahead and subscribe to both of those things, that's always very, very helpful and I always appreciate it. And I will talk to you soon. Bye.